Mahomes, he'll just chuck it ahead, and it's Cotton has that next gear. He's behind the line of scrimmage, and he did what Patrick Mahomes does so well, which is improvise. Strategy is defined as a plan of action designed to achieve a particular aim. Finding your winning strategy can happen overnight or can take years to develop. Here on the Strats Podcast, I hang out with athletes, experts, entertainers, and adventurers, some old friends and some new, to hear how they found their edge in a particular field or for a particular event. Expect to hear about motivation, personal struggles and successes, and actual advice for anyone looking to be better today than they were yesterday. My name is Charles Thorpe. My work has allowed me to share stories from the best and the brightest. Now I'm bringing those conversations here. Patrick wasn't a run fast, jump high guy necessarily, but whenever we gamified anything or there was any type of a reaction component or problem solving component or agility, even agility components on high levels, he was a standout. That was NFL performance coach Bobby Stroop, and it's time for the Strats Podcast. Bobby, great to sit down with you, man. What brought you into the world of training and what made that your calling? You know, I think it starts like a lot of a lot of people in any profession is you have an interest, but then you have some type of deficit. And for me, I just I wasn't very good at sports, but I loved I loved it. You know, I grew up watching sports, always on the TV, but I was the smallest kid in my grade, male or female, uh, until I was about a freshman in high school. And so that made it to where it was almost this thing where I would attach myself to characters like Rocky or, or any of these things growing up. Really corny, right? Yeah. But it's like you, you Marvel characters and all this before that was out. There was things that, that were just I was drawn to. That were just to me it was everything. And you start looking at the world through that lens and all of a sudden training becomes a means to this life that you want. And for me it was more of a personal conquest of hey, I, I, I don't want to be this kid that's last picked on the playground anymore. And it was a selfish thing. And then by the time I got into high school, even later in middle school, you know, I was training my friends for fun, or mm-hmm. doing things that other kids typically wouldn't do, spending time in my garage, working out on a pro form weight room machine that's like cable now i mean that thing was a mess but Mm. it was just asking for stuff like that from christmas all the way to training your buddies growing up it just is something that i knew i wanted to do from an early age yeah and now let's uh let's jump way forward and say where were you and, and what were you doing when you first got connected with with patrick patrick mahomes so when i first got connected with patrick i had just started my business in tyler texas um I played college ball, I played arena football, and I had a job with a mentor in Hawaii already set up from when I was a sophomore in college. So I did a very, very poor job of networking because I thought I kind of had it made. And I get out there and the whole place shut down. So this this place that was supposed to be this training academy in Kona, Hawaii, shut down, turned into a tennis operation, had no job, I <laughs> came home. Uh, did what I had to do and then eventually got recruited to Tyler, Texas to start a business. And when I met Patrick, I was literally going door to door and just, I had people praying for me like, you sure you want to do this? Like, yeah, I mean, I know this is what I want to do. They're like, well, we can call some people, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just started a business called Accelerate and that business was running speed camps off public parks. Mm-hmm. And we had a plan to eventually get a facility and Patrick was one of the kids that, that his, his parents enrolled him in a group group training session i don't really or i didn't then and i really don't now believe in a lot of personal training for kids and so it was all group 
and it was focused on movement literacy. We had to package it as you know speed camp, so you couldn't get anybody to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that was the time in my life that I met him, and he was a young kid. He was nine years old. Yeah, and so how did you watch him develop? And how did you start to, I guess, recognize and dial in that training relationship when it came to the requirements that he was having as he progressed in the sport? Yeah, when you're in the group setting with with kids and you're a coach, you can quickly find out, um, not necessarily who are just standout athletes. Those things are obvious, but Patrick wasn't a run fast, jump high guy necessarily. And that's why he was there. But whenever we gamified anything or there was any type of a reaction component or problem solving component or agility, even agility components on high levels, he was a standout. And you could tell that really early on by the time he was in middle school. Um, as he matured, what you found is that he had some really, really unique athletic attributes about him that were, that were just something that you just don't see in a kid, that combination of those types of things. And some of those things involve being able to run in different angulations, and now we like to call it curvilinear sprints, uh, being explosive in multiple directions. And you take Patrick, I mean, it's, it, you know, let's not say these are his numbers necessarily, but if you have a middle school kid that has a 23-inch vertical, but when you do a rotational jump where he does like a 180, if he still has a 23-inch vertical, and then you have him jump three feet to the right, and he still has a 23-inch vertical. Patrick is that kind of athlete. And you could identify that in the training that we did. Our training approach is uh, multidimensional, multiplanar. And whenever we got outside of sagittal plane movement, he was always the most explosive kid. But if we were in sagittal plane movement, he was not a standout. And you can really see that in elements of his game And that what makes him unique is he can run backwards and, and laterally almost as fast as he can run forward. Mm. And if you were just to watch Patrick run forward, you might not say, hey, this is a world-class athlete. But if you watch the manner in which he does that and how he does that, you could recognize that from an early age. As he developed in the sport, can you talk about his early days of getting into the league? Yeah, so he was a guy that was surrounded by a lot of type A personalities and he played every sport and it's been well documented. So a lot of times when I worked with him, it was pretty sport agnostic from a standpoint of we just wanted to develop him from an athletic, holistic, long-term development aspect. So Patrick was a guy that was either in baseball when we were training, he was in basketball when we were training, or he was in the summer playing, trying to chase a you know, youth world series before football. So there was always a lot to balance. And in those times, you know, it wasn't about being a quarterback because he's he's said many times he didn't know if he was even going to play his junior year. He was not the top quarterback in his grade. He had another kid that, that is great in his own right, but they ended up playing college baseball. But there was a lot of back and forth. And Patrick wasn't the clear-cut starter until he was third game of his junior year. And so it wasn't like we had this – just colossal plan of we're going to take we're going to take the quarterback world by storm and this is our goal no he he just he wanted to win Mm. he as long as i've ever known him he wanted to win state in basketball he wanted to win state in baseball they wanted to win state in football it was it's always been about winning and so he didn't really have a lot of these personal goals until he got older um and when he became the quarterback full-time that's when it opened up a lot of people's eyes that hey he has a very uh, unique approach on how to play this position. This does not look like Peyton Manning or Troy Eggman. This is different. And there were a few coaches like King, Cliff Kingsbury that thought that he had 
some special abilities and some things that if he could be coached and molded, it, it could really be a special situation. And they were right. Mm-hmm. So as as a trainer in that situation, you had known him for a while, so you had probably already identified some of those things that made him an outlier. Right. How did you shepherd those? How did you focus those and, and make them even and, and, and start to see maybe them shown through plays that he's actually doing in game? I mean, you use a great word there, Charles. Shepherding uh, those things is a great way to put it. What we do is look at it on, you know, when you're training, you're attaining different athletic attributes that maybe don't come as natural. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to, you're trying to, to accrue those things or you're nourishing what you have and you're nourishing God's gifts. And, and everyone knows that Patrick has incredible genetic talent. I'll be the first one to tell you that. He's got a dad that had a long career in baseball. His dad is a different type of athlete than Patrick, was a fast twitch athlete, track and field, all these different things, very explosive athlete. Uh, but they're also very similar. And Patrick has a lot of his uh, traits and his mother has a lot of things that she passed on to him as well. His body type is very similar to hers. And so when you're working with someone like Patrick, that is so different you have to you have to lean into the things that he's good at at some point when the, the older you get into your sport and the more trainability that you've had and the longer that you move towards that professional realm where he's at now you have to spend less and less time attaining new attributes and you have to spend more and more time nourishing what it is that makes you great and he does a really good job of understanding who he is and how he plays the game and I think that that's where we spend the most of our time. And then you calling it shepherding, I think that that is a, a great way to put it. But that is what we focus on on a week-to-week basis. Here's what we know. If he can't move in at least eight different angulations as fast as possible, it's going to affect the way he likes to play the position. If he can't produce power in the you know, 20-some-odd medicine ball throws we do every week, if he can't produce power... Uh, with the bad swings, with some of the different jumps, with some of the different lifts, it's going to limit him from being his best self. And our goal every Sunday during the season is let's be the best with what we got, with what we're working on. You got an injury? Okay. What is, how can we be our very best going into this game with that, knowing that we are dealing with that situation? And now let's kind of get into that first Super Bowl run with Patrick Mahomes as quarterback. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the training during that run and how you leaned in and made sure that he was able to perform in the way that he did and accomplish what he did? During those times, we spent a lot more time in the off season and during the in season, it was a little bit touch and go. It was, it was a more of a formative plan to where I, I might come to check in, but I wasn't with him on a daily basis in the season. So if you go back and look at that first Super Bowl run, he was beat up during the season quite a bit. His body was different. He weighed about 238. If you go back and watch that Patriots game, I think he probably wasn't happy with the state of his body at that point. He could not. If you remember, the Patriots had a game plan where they they pressed everyone. And this is the year before the Super Bowl, the first year. But this all kind of rolls in together as far as the theme of where we're at. But he wasn't really happy with the state of his body at the end of the season as far as being able to play the way he likes to play from a movement standpoint. Now, obviously, Patrick has a howitzer he can throw the ball and th- that is not going to change unless there's some intervention uh, with injury there but it was just not something that we were happy with we had a good plan he had a, his body was stable through the season he worked hard obviously and the Chiefs do a great job but it just we felt like we needed more so when you talk about the Super Bowl runs and when they started to begin to happen um, we started doing more and more during the season and that wasn't the reason 
necessarily. I think what happens is when a player's young, just like the first couple of years, they really don't know what they need for them personally. You can look and watch and see, okay, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. But they have a finite amount of time and they've gotta make some really important impactful decisions on how they spend it. And I think the first two years to three years Patrick was in the NFL, it was prioritizing and finding out, okay, I actually do need to do this in the season. I actually don't need to do this. And I think it took us a while to figure out how much we needed to actually work during the season. And so there's been a lot that's changed since that, since that first Super Bowl. But what I remember the most from that first Super Bowl was just his ability to try to recover from some of the things during the season. And the fact that every single game that first Super Bowl, we were behind. Mm. And we shouldn't, <laughs> you could say we shouldn't have won any of the games the entire playoff run. I mean, it was, we were down. Now, some of the final scores you would argue with me, but if you watched, I mean, we were down by two scores at halftime, I believe, every single game. Um, and in the fourth quarter against the 49ers, I believe we're down 16 with like four or something like that with four minutes to go. It was, it was an insane. And if you don't have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you, you don't win those games. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of the things that you use to measure where he's at, both in the training and the recovery. Uh, I know Woo plays a big part of that, but yeah, just talk a little bit about how you use stick monitor where he's at and, and how you use those to influence the training that you're doing with him. Yeah, there's a couple different categories. Obviously, in the recovery monitoring space, um, Whoop is a huge tool for us because Whoop allows me to look at his strain scores, which the strain is an accumulated score based off uh, your previous rest, your previous strain, and what your cardiorespiratory output is, a respiratory rate, different things like that. It's, a, it's a, a very advanced algorithm that allows me to know, you know, basically how he's living. How, how are the things that I'm doing stacking up with other things in his life? Because as we know, stress on the body is, it can come in the form of emotional stress, it can come in the form of physical stress. Stress is stress, and it can it can end up affecting his performance and his recovery. And the recovery scores are great because sleep duration, sleep quality, all those things he can he can get competitive with. Um, but if I if if he wakes up and I look at his score and he's at a thirty, it doesn't mean we're not going to work. But it means that if maybe we had five sets of something, we're probably not going to go through that. I'm going to really pay attention to the state of his body. And sometimes it can just be as little of adjustment as hey, we're gonna be a little more thorough in our warm-up process and more intentional with our nutrition and more intentional with implementing some of these uh, devices like a, like a Venom Go or mm -hmm. the Hyper Ice Gun and things like that because those can be a neurological awakening type of thing, not just something to get blood flowing or ambulatory response. Those things can really be used to kind of neurologically wake up the body and stimulate um, the blood flow and type of things that we need to optimize that day in the work. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and people, and this is, and I know I'm rambling, but like if he were to wake up and have a 21% recovery on game day, it's not like we're like, oh my God, we're going to forfeit. He can't play. It's too high risk. Like this, and I think too too often, right? Yeah. We get people that are like, this is dangerous for an athlete to look, but it's not. You know, worst case scenario, you get into that situation, and you are intentional with how you get ready for the game that day. And you go out there and you do what you got to do. And these guys are performers. That is what they do their whole life. They would not be in this situation if they couldn't go be a gamer uh, when things are suboptimal. That's what they do. And, you know, we do have scores for the game. And he has not. This year he's been in the green every single week of the season, which is remarkable. Um, 
and we're we're looking to keep that streak going you know hopefully this sunday for the first super bowl win you know when was the last time you saw him before he he stepped out on that field oh gosh the first super bowl win it had been weeks you know he had he had some injury things that year obviously and um it'd been weeks since i saw him now the contact was consistent and with him and with the staff our FaceTime was a lot more limited back then than it is now yeah so yeah tell me about the the lead up and the process of your work now leading up to this super bowl it's a lot different now um for the past few years i've been with him year round um on a week-to-week basis and during the season we typically work three times a week during the season in the off season it's five um, times a week so to give you a, a scope of like the time investment that he gives um training wise you know the year that of the second super bowl when he was played injured that year this is not an exaggeration we would work out four hours a day because we would combine our th- we, first we would do a therapy on his foot and in the training and therapy we'd mesh it, it's a lot of those concepts together but these sessions end up being four hours i mean it was just and then if you threw that day it was five hours so let's say it was four hours just for simple math we were together 20 hours a week in the off season on a consistent basis that entire off season um and typically start not early in the morning, but early enough to where he can get out there um, and get off the tee, but, you know, before it's too late in the afternoon. Um, and then in the season, we are typically a Monday, Tuesday, Friday, or, or three times a week. It depends on the schedule for the week, right? With the games on a Thursday, Saturday, or Sunday, or Monday. Um, but during the season, it's more of a time investment of co- closer to around eight hours. Uh, to, to, to 10 max depending on what we're dealing with yeah. so there's a constant progression as far as what we're going for in the off season it's about tissue resiliency pattern stability some of these different th- things that are hard to attain during the season because it takes the body a few days to adapt in the season what we're really working on is getting the body primed and prepped to be able to hit some small peaks throughout the season and be ready for the playoffs and the Super Bowl. So, for instance, we've got our A day, B day, and C day. A day, if you want to, if you want to just show like big broad umbrellas, A day is mainly mobility. It's going to look like a gymnastics workout, a lot of stretching, a lot of different type of yoga and Pilates looking type movements, Eldoa, um, different type of poses, positions, back bends, all these different things. Uh, getting him used to grounding, getting him used to being able to have a relationship with the ground, one, to get your shoes off, get out of the cleats, reset everything. And it's almost a litmus test of, okay, here's your different foot position squats. This is not in a good situation. We need to get this to this point before Friday mm-hmm. or before Wednesday. And then you got your B day, which is going to be more of a traditional strength conditioning approach where we have targeted percentage-based loads where we're going for somewhat of a bleed of power or maximal strength on those days depending on where we are in our cycle of training and during the season Um, and he does lift heavy i mean he's got to be strong he's got to keep his testosterone levels to a high level he's got to have tissue resiliency meaning our ligaments got to stay tight our tendons have to have properties of of both tension and and tissue extensibility and muscles have to obviously have that density um, a serious elastic component with the fascial system. So we've got to check in on these things. He's got to work. He's a human being before he's a quarterback. So those B days or Tuesdays, rather, or whatever they are in the week, the second day 
it's going to feel a lot more traditional. And those are long days. Those are those two hour workouts where we sprint, we jump, we move, all things considered, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if we're healthy. Right. And if we're not healthy, that doesn't mean we scratch the workout. It means that, oh, you, you, for instance, let's just say you have a fractured wrist. Oh, well, that's fine. We're gonna do rotational cable pulls instead of bat swings. Or mm-hmm. um, you've, got a, you've got a bum ankle, well, great. Well, then we're gonna do full speed squats with one leg elevated, or we're gonna do some type of unloaded jump um, that you can handle with the other leg. Or, you know, there's other technologies that the Chiefs could implement and we can proactively communicate. There's never a situation, injured or not, that we do not train for these properties of athletic performance. Mm-hmm. Because health performance and player development is a, that, that's a relationship, that's a triad. That's not something that you omit one because the other is a problem. You can say, well, I'm not healthy, so I can't train. No, you can't say, well, I was inaccurate, so I'm only going to throw this week and I'm not going to, no. You can't, you can't say, well, I got caught on a scramble. I'm only going to train. No, it's, it, that has a relationship. Um, and then finally, uh, C day, the last day is more of a neurological, uh, ramp up. So the goal is to do under, under load. Basically you're going to do sub 20% loads over speed and you're going to do underweight on any type of throwing type of movement. You're going to do underweight on any type of rotational type of movement. What you're trying to do is set the body up to where the, the thoracic spine is moving faster than it needs to in the game. Um, his running speed is faster than he's going to need to run in full pads in the game um, in multiple ways, curvilinear and straight and backwards and all these different things that he can show explosive power in different med balls with a light med ball that he can jump with light weight. So it's not like we're in there trying to lift 550 on deadlift on Friday. As the week goes on, we should move faster towards the game. And, and even if you have an injury, you can find, you can do fast cable pulls. You can do a lot of things that, that ramp the body up uh, for speed because it's, it's almost more of an electrical thing than a physiological thing come that day. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the way that he throws is unlike any other quarterback. Yeah. You mentioned some of the cable pulls. I'm wondering, you know, are there any exercises or movements that directly translate to his unique power in certain positions as, as a quarterback? I think there are. I mean, we, we do some different eight-point type leaps and jumps and then combination of movements, and we combine those with different throws. you got to be really careful about trying to be super functional trainer guy and, mm-hmm. and you know, getting him out there with the football. That's really not my place. You know, we, it's been well documented that we do locomotion patterning throws, but that's not me being a quarterback coach. That's me putting him through asymmetrical movement patterns and focusing on movement literacy and having him with basically his – his uh, football is like a baby blanket there. It's like, okay, this is comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Now let me get you uncomfortable. Let's skip on your right leg and walk on your left and let's do a cross behind pattern. Or let's do these patterns. And whenever I clap, you're going to get the ball out as fast as you can. And oh, by the way, there's three guys over here. You only throw it to the one that's got their hand up, mm-hmm. but you, they don't do it until I say go. And this is a gamification of something that you're really trying to get a neurological and physiological adaptation from. And what I'm trying to do is take something he already has and shepherd it, like you said, or nourish it. He already has all these arm slots. He already has a lot of this variability in his movement. How can I sharpen that knife? And that's what we do with that. As far as as far as training implementation, without a football, and we do a lot of med ball throws, and we do them two times a week, year round. So in season, two times a week. Off season, two times a week. And I get a miles per hour gun out for him. So he knows he knows how hard he should be able to throw a med ball if he's in a backpedal opening rotation 
right or if he's doing a cross behind shot put throw or if he's doing a granny toss or if he's doing um, any type of forward scoop toss or any of the different you know we have over 20 different med ball throws that we gun twice a week we do we, you know some days we do heavy some days we do light he knows what ranges he should be in and I can tell you that Patrick is aware of different angles he can launch a ball 30 miles an hour he knows and that is going to help him not necessarily like he's out there thinking about it but he's able to draw from what he knows is his athletic prowess and what he knows are his advantages on the field he can go use those and the way that he does that is every tackler every coverage every throw is a unique problem and if you really just break it down he is a master problem solver at its best he is a magician truly like in the in the true sense of the word in that he he's creating illusions he is manipulating space and he's solving problems and I, it's not like his training is is really actually doing that but i look at his training as a self-education week to week of this is what i got this is where i'm at and and he's going to subliminally pull from that in his game mm -hmm. of course everything that you're doing is so applicable to a number of different scenarios within the game is there anything team specific when you know okay we have the eagles coming up is there anything about their defense that we need to adapt to or is it just is make him the best quarterback he can possibly be walking into this game? Oh, Charles, that's a great question. And I think that the truth is, is that there is that, you know, what, one to 5% of things that you really do want to make specific to your opponent if you can. Now, I'm not going to tell you that we're we're sitting here and I've got a player chart and I'm like, this is, we're going to we're gonna lift 50 more pounds this week because Dominican Sue is going to hit you head on. It's not that, and you know that. I, I'm just, for the listeners out there, if we know that there's an active D-line, um, you know, sometimes like the Patriots have a scheme that a lot of teams adopt where they rush as one, and that's a different type of situation than when you have an Eagles uh, line that has some specialized pass rushers that are going to get up the field. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, you're going to typically be more active uh, of a mover. And then when you've got more pressure on the inside, that means you're going to do more. Like if you have if you have really strong guys on the interior and they're their pass rushers, you're typically going to have more curvilinear runs. If you have more pressure on the outside, you're going to have more linear runs. Mm -hmm. And so you know, adding little wrinkles, like maybe a couple more sprints in those different angulations, or if we're looking at our vector system and our leaps, knowing, okay, this is that style of player, we're gonna have to have more lateral movement. If we're playing against a Bosa or one of those things, and um, th there is some things that you look for. For instance, if you have a power rusher, uh, you, you, running away from him is a great thing to do. If you have a speed rusher, and I know that sounds like I'm being a total smoke, no. but if you have a speed rusher, it's better to run right at them. It's better to pass a fast train than run from it, right? Mm -hmm. So having different you know move, movement strategies with those kind of things, mm -hmm. or let's say you're dealing with an element where it, it irritates you to move to the left. Well, knowing that if you if you need to break the game open with the scramble try to break open to the right because you know you have less pain tolerance and you could run faster going that direction um if you let's say that you did have some type of injury to one of your wrists knowing that when you break out in the open field you want to hold the ball with that wrist that does not need to be your free hand so these are the types of conversations we have week to week that are definitely private mm -hmm. and i would call those uh, tactical approaches that have to do with combining what you're doing with um the training aspect but then me me and him having conversations and patrick's good at this anyway of saying, hey, we need to make this consideration as far as how we're gonna play the game. And that has nothing to do with 
running the chief's playbook or doing things like that it, again that's a that's a tactical approach that comes from knowing your body what you can do what you could do and what you probably shouldn't do when's the last time you got a, a whoop reading from uh from patrick oh every day every day so we <laughs> as far as what's the process for that yeah you know every day i'm i'm lucky enough to be able to have access to a spreadsheet and then i have um a spreadsheet that's got some a little more detailed data on the back end and then every day on my phone in real time when i get up i can see uh, how long he slept and what his score is so he gets he gets a lot of green battery text from me um, and if he doesn't get green battery text from me he gets some he gets a, some questions usually <laughs> might irritate his morning but you know I think that the, the big thing with that too is that I probably didn't mention is you, you can't you can't be in the green you can't have a 95% recovery every day you could but that probably means you're lazy and sedated that doesn't yeah. mean that you're training if you're trying to push the body forward you know, when in, in the course of an NFL season, that's, you know, well, it depends. It's between 20 and 25 weeks long. You can't hit a peak 25 times. So what you want is to be recovered enough, but know that you, you took the opportunity to have work and stress that's going to improve his physiological systems, not just his tissues, but his, his bone structures, his neurological processes, live wiring, hard wiring, making sure he is moving and advancing that forward that's a delicate balance of peaking in week five you really want to be in the range to where you're in the green for the recovery but not at a peak and if you were to hit a peak you'd want it to be in the super bowl so yeah. there is a delicate approach to that and i'm probably way too analytical um i would the only thing i'd give myself credit for as far as that's concerned is i don't take every little conversation to patrick on that stuff that's what i'm passionate about what he wants to hear from me is should i do more or less you know what body weight do you think i need to be at this week and, and those things do change depending on the state of his body and um kind of on, on the technology side what i found with most athletes the least amount of communication is better and if you find a way to gamify the process then they're going to have passion for it because none of these guys that are in this position want to lose at anything i don't care if it's beer pong or darts or super bowls and it certainly isn't going to be recovery score they don't want to lose on that either so um, that's been a definitely a key factor for us perfect do you have a or does he have a process or routine when it comes to warming up training stretching like game day take me into game day kind of what's his road map that you've uh, consulted on yeah, he's a really superstitious guy. So he kind of does the same warm up every single time. Um, what you're going to find if you get out to the field early and you watch Patrick, he's going to go through what we call some of our Romanoff upper body stretches, which is basically awakening the tendons, ligaments, fascial system, and multiple different joint ranges and motions with the upper body. Um, and it look, kind of looks like wrist stretches and different things to the naked eye. Um, then he's going to do his on air arm workout, or not arm workout, but um, arm care routine and where he's trying to speed things up and wake things up and then he's going to have a series of different swings and what looks like basketball pivots um, that's kind of a awakening the fascial system trying to get those deep deep fascial lines the 12 meridians kind of going and then and then you're going to see him doing skips backward running and jogging and real lazily kind of getting his body going a couple jumps here and there and then what i found and this is definitely not something that i wrote up but he's going to do some he's going to shoot the football like a basketball a few times he's going to throw fades 
and he's going to jog around and and he he has his same routines he goes into this corner of the end zone does this i'm not going to give it away i don't want people huddling over there but he goes into this corner of the end zone does this little thing he goes over here and does a tuck jump and flex he goes over here to pray it's a he's very regimented and i love that about him because it it does make my job easier that's for sure it's great to watch, man. Is it is it tough for you to watch as obviously a trainer and somebody who cares for him personally to, to watch a game? It is. You know, I the worst thing is I can't do anything. I'm just you know, it it's I'm all I'm all anxious for nothing. Like what am I gonna do? And then and then why am I worried? Because Patrick's my client, so he's given me plenty of evidence I don't need to be worried. But yeah, there are some times. I mean, I will tell you that the uh, Jaguars game was not a fun watch for me. You know, when you First off, the Jaguars are a very underrated team. We knew it was going to be hard anyway. You you go out there and everyone's talking about how the Chiefs are going to beat them. And that, that wasn't helpful for our, the Chiefs and for Patrick because it was a lot of respect and we knew what we were up against. But, you know, they got after him really good. And that injury in the first, I believe it was the first quarter in the second or third series, maybe he was moving around great. In fact, there was an option play in the first quarter and I loved it. And I think it, I think it was the second series. Um and that was that was stressful that is one of those moments where you want to help you don't know what to do you you have to trust in the processes and the people and um know that he's going to make the right decisions on what to do and then know that he's furious and then your mind starts going toward all right if we can win this game i've got to create a plan on monday and two i gotta we gotta figure out how are we all going to work together on this what's he going to do what's MRI going to say so i would be lying to you if i said it was all fun and games i'm not up there having having uh necessarily drinks and social time i'm i'm pretty focused on the game and i want to see how he's moving and what we're doing yeah so, you're at work i'm at work yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. but also try not to stress everyone out around me, which is <laughs> i don't always do great with that exactly exactly well awesome man it was a great chat with you great conversation and uh yeah good luck to everybody on the games he looks great i appreciate that thank you charles your, your questions were great and i can tell you have a, a great approach to training by the way that you your neuro linguistics you've you, you've been around this you know what you're doing and i think he looks good too 